Praise the Lord. All right, let's get our Bibles out, open to Ephesians chapter 4, page 1080. If you didn't bring a pew Bible or you didn't bring a Bible, grab that one out of the pew, page 1080, Ephesians 4. Good morning and welcome all of you that are joining us online, wherever you may be. We're grateful for you. Pray that God speaks through his word to you this morning. Now, as we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, Paul has been breaking down the gospel bit by bit, piece by piece, helping us to have clarity, to understand uh, what it is that the gospel is, what, what the gospel does in our lives. So he's given us three chapters of gospel explanation. Here's what it is. You know, for example, like we just sang, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God made us alive in Christ. And so now we're alive in him. And so as we've done that, we've then sort of transitioned at this pivot point in chapter four, where there's a turn. And it's not that we apply everything that's just been told us in these three chapters, but it's that we now look to God so these things now give explanation to who we are. And the way that I've been explaining this is in the beginning, we were born into a room of mirrors where we could only see the reflection of ourselves and others. And so we were left to define ourselves based on the way we see ourselves and compare ourselves which is a deadly, deadly combination that all of us in the room have experienced. And there is a contingency, no doubt, in the room who are still stuck in that. But then God moved the mirror out of the way and opened a window for us to look out and see this vast reality. It's not new. It's always been there. It was just a mystery to us. We didn't know. As we look out the window of the gospel, we see the world in a whole new way. We see the, the grandeur of all that God has done. And we're able to then look up. Because it's very important that you understand. We look up first. Then we look around at the people that God places around us. And then thirdly and finally, we look in. See, the last step in the process is we look in, in this of, of understanding uh, who we are. Design precedes defining. Before you can define who you are, you've got to get to the design of what you are. You have to. Otherwise, and the reason so many people have faulty identities, church people, even saved people, is because you have defined yourself by looking at yourself and comparing yourself to other people. That's why there's so many people floundering and struggling even in, a, even in the midst of the gospel. Even in church, even with the Spirit living within them. It's because you've gotten things out of order. You've got to look up and say, God, who are you? What have you done? 
What am, what am I, what have I been made for? Then you look around at people that are further along the process than you so that that's where you're, you begin to understand these things in practical nature as we're going to see today. And then finally and lastly, you look in and why? Because it's going to be a minute. It's going to be a minute in your walk with Christ before your heart becomes trustworthy. I mean, it's just, you can't just look in. It will not work. So we said last week, before the gospel redefines us, it redesigns us. Remember that conversation? You see, what happens is when we're born again and we... we our heart is set free is what we just sang. Well, think about freedom and the way that we tend to understand freedom. We think freedom is being able to do whatever we want. That's what the culture tells you. That's what most people in the room here but would define freedom as. We're taught that freedom's the ability to do- adopt whatever lifestyle I want to adopt or choose whatever thing I want to choose or escape whatever obligation I want to escape. So I'm free to be able to make those decisions and do those things. The more choices we have, the freer we are. Is that true? That's not at all what the Bible teaches about freedom. True freedom is the ability to be who you were made to be. Now, that may sound counterintuitive to you, but that's only because you've been so indoctrinated by the world. A fish is made for water, right? It experiences its freedom in the context of water. So if we apply the world's definition of freedom to a fish, then a fish would be free when a fish had the freedom to choose to get out of the river, which is death, which is death. That's not freedom. Instead, freedom for a fish is what? Water. Because a fish was made for water. So in the same way, freedom for me and freedom for you is to be what God made us to be. That's where freedom is because that's what we were made for. If you have your listening guides. So before we can find out who we are, we need to find out what we are made for. So important to understand. And you know what the good news is? Is that by the end of this morning, you'll know what you were made for. Crystal clear. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord, thank you for your word. We're anticipating meeting with you, Lord, you doing a work that only you can do in our hearts. God, you are an astonishing God 
in every way. You are astonishingly good and mind-bogglingly available to us. Your love for us, your plan for us, your purpose for us, your design for us is, is so amazing. And in all of the greatness of who you are, how can it be that you, our King, would die for me? God, send the Holy Spirit into this place to move mightily in our hearts. May He have dominion over us as we willfully surrender ourselves to Him. We thank you for the opportunity to have ears to hear that you might do a great work. We promise to give you the credit and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we can find out who we are, we got to find out what we're made for. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul says, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So last week we looked at verse 1, and we said worthy is not about measuring up, but it's about fitting in. It's about living in a way that fits in with the way that we were created to live. Walk in a way that fits the calling. And so our primary purpose in life, our primary purpose, we are created to be a display of God. And so what might that look like Well, because God is love, we accomplish this by being loved and showing love. See, remember the the way we would normally say it is we're created to be in relationship with him or to bring God glory, both of which are true. But practically, how does that function? And we said, well, everyone uh, who, who... goes to church, talks about being in a relationship with God, but what's the point of relationship? And last week we said every, the point of every relationship is love. We wouldn't be in a relationship unless we thought that there was a chance that we'd be loved. To be loved and to give love. So the point is to be loved by God and then to be able to love Him in return and then love others. That's the point. And he is love. So that's how we accomplish this. Now we're image bearers. We're separated from all the, uh, the rest of creation. We're different from all other creatures on earth because we are alone image bearers. And so therefore, God takes the, our actions and our lives and our purpose and our meaning very seriously. Why? Because if we're image bearers, then what we do, which is different from all the rest of creation, only humanity as image bearers is a reflection on him. So therefore, he's going to take our 
lives more seriously than he is anything else. It just makes sense. And what we are drives what we do. See, what a fish is causes a fish to swim. The reason a fish swims in water is because it is a fish. So the activity that you see when you look at a fish is first and foremost based on what it is. So the activity that you see when you look at me and you should rightfully and hopefully be based on what we are. But so oftentimes it's not. It's based on what we've determined we are by looking in the mirror and looking at other people. So Paul's going to give further explanation. Look at verse 4. There is, now, quick, um, let's, let's all be Bible scholars this morning. Whenever you're reading the Bible, there are just certain principles you want to be aware of, one of which is always pay attention to words that are repeated because repeated words are repeated for emphasis, right? Okay, so let's all figure out what might be the repeated word here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. I'm sure you haven't figured this out yet. And Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. Why? What's happening here? Well, Paul is, is now driving into who we're made to be, how this has come about, and it's come about in this oneness of all these different things, but they're all one thing. So in other words, we all, all born-again believers, share one spirit. We share one Lord, that's Jesus one Father, one Spirit, one Lord, one Father. We all have the same Spirit, same Lord, same Father. Now, what, is, what does Paul want us to understand? He wants us to understand that when we become a Christian, it's not just that God comes into our lives. But it's that God, come, the same God that comes into my life comes into your God. And he wants us to understand the context of how that happens. Who is this God? This is the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. Three in one. So the life of the triune God comes into us. That's what Paul's teaching us, see, is over all, through all, and in all. So the triune God that rules over everything, we all came through that God, and that God is now in us. Now see, you should have been blowing your party blower right there, because that's big news. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I don't really get, listen, 
What makes you a Christian is that you have the life of God in you. You have the life of God in you. Not just some part of God or some piece of God, but the life of God is in you and me. So what happens is it it causes us to realize that Christianity is not a way of life. It's more than being kind or moral or helping those in need or law-abiding. That is part of being a Christian, but that's not what Christianity is. What Paul wants us to see is that Christians aren't nice people. Christians are new people. We're new. Because the life of God has come into us. So what happens when the life of God comes into us? Well, this is just explanation of the things he's told us in the previous chapters. That we were, we're made alive, that we're raised up, that we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. All these big things. Same trinity, same power. One, 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 one. But look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Wait a minute. One, 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 one. And then suddenly, all the same power, all the same Father, Son, Spirit. Same. But different function. Because here we see not the same. Grace was given to everyone. Everyone received it according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, grace gives. That's what grace does. There's no such thing as grace without giving because that's what grace always encompasses. So every saved person is given gifts, a measure of Christ's gifts. And every one of these gifts that every one of us who came through and, and now that God lives in the same way we all came, but we all get a different measure of Christ's grace through these gifts and all these gifts are for the benefit of others, not ourselves. 1 Peter 4, as each one receives a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's varied. Every Christian is uniquely gifted for the purpose of using those gifts to be a blessing to others. The gifts are not for us. We have some gifts that benefit us, but they're not spiritual gifts. That's not what we're talking about. Spiritual gifts are for the benefit of other people. So what you have is you have this one, 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 all the same, and then you have this difference in each one is given gifts according to the measure of Christ's 
grace in our lives. So we have oneness and sameness, but then we also have diversity. So we're diverse in this room. How? Well, we're, we're diverse in, in all sorts of things. We're diverse in the way we grew up, in our outlook. Maybe we're diverse ethnically. Maybe we're diverse uh, educationally. Maybe we're diverse. We have all sorts of, but none of that is what we're talking about. And we're not talking about the diversity in the room where some of you have this background, some of you have that background, some of you have faced these challenges, or some of you have faced those challenges. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about diversity in the room where some of you are Republican and some of you are Democrat or, or anything of that nature. We're talking about diversity of giftedness. This is not worldly diversity. This is spiritual diversity. Because Christ gifts in a diverse way. And I would even venture to say that although there are people in the room that may share the same gift, no one in the room has the same combination of gifts. No one. You, you may have a certain gift and someone else in the room probably has that gift, but that gift is not put together in the unique way that your gift is put together with the other gifts of your, that you've received. It's unique. So the way to understand it is it's unity, not uniformity. See, unity in one spirit, one Lord, one Father. We all came through the same power. It's the same power. We all came through the same power, and we're all indwelt by the same power. So there's unity, but we're unique. Because listen, if we were all uniform, it would be super boring. What makes me, you know, because we normally, if we're aware of what our giftedness is, then we think about this in the terms of our own giftedness. So if I were to do that, then look at, think of how awkward this would be. We'd have two choices, both horribly bad. A, none of us have the gift of preaching, which... Whatever we're going to, we just sit here in silence and contemplate. Boring. Number two, all of us have the gift of preaching and then we kill each other. <laughs> or we're here for 17 hours every Sunday. I mean, I mean, it won't work. It's not uniformity. Look at verse 8. Let's get some clarity. Therefore, it says, quoting from Psalm 68, when he ascended, he, Jesus, ascended on high. He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, what do we got going on here? Well, like I said, this is... Psalm 68, 18, it comes directly from there. And what Paul is showing us is the cost of our gifts. 
probably because the Bible knows our tendency to overlook and to minimize the importance of discovering and operating in our spiritual giftedness because we always have the opportunity to just sit there like a bump on a log and let time pass by. So what does Paul do? He says, well, look at what it costs for you to be gifted. He ascended on high. He led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's Jesus' triumphant return to heaven. Who are the captives? We are. You see, that verse right there is declaring our liberation. That's a verse of freedom. That's why I wanted you to understand what freedom is. That word captives right there is the, is the best thing you could ever imagine. Because you know what he did? He descended to the lowest regions of the earth. That means he, he came to the earth, was born in flesh, lived on this earth, suffered, was executed, was buried in order that he might ascend triumphantly to heaven. And in his ascension triumphantly to heaven, he brought back with him all those whom he captivated. That's all believers. You read the prayer in John 17. See, Jesus, the, the, the Lord is not confined to time. So when, when Jesus prays to the Father in John 17, he, he says, Father, I've, I've gotten all the ones that you've given me. He's, he's talking about for all time. He hasn't, he's not going to miss anybody. He knows. He knows everyone who will come to him. He already knows that. And we've been, we're the captives. We've been captivated. Why? We've been captivated by his love. And we've been set free through that captivation to be what we were made to be. So Jesus gave his life so that we might receive not just salvation, but giftedness as a gift in Christ's grace. So unity, not uniformity, but then also it's devotion amid diversity. See, devotion to what? A devotion to Christ and to others amid our diversity of giftedness. So we're all devoted but our devotion is strengthened and made into what it's intended to be through the diversity that we find in our different giftedness so he gave gifts to every believer but he also gave gifts to the whole church look at verse 11 and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Hmm. So there's this issue of maturity, that we mature in these gifts, that we mature in this grace, that we mature into what we were made to be. Now, this is not the way we normally think about this. Let me me explain to you what Paul's saying. He's saying that we are all immature. We're all in the process of maturity. All of us. Notice something. In verse 14, he says, so that we... He includes himself. We may no longer be children. So he's talking about this issue of maturity. And he's giving a definition of maturity, which is very different than what we might think. So these gifts, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's very direct. That is my purpose in my calling. That's how I am to function in my giftedness, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to become, in the Greek, it's one mature man. So we go from plural to singular. So that we, all of us, may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul includes himself. Now, how in the world can Paul be immature? And if he is, what does that say for the rest of us? I mean, even Peter wrote that the Apostle Paul oftentimes can be hard to understand because his wisdom is so deep. And so... Look at the contrast of what we've talked about so far. Now just let this sink in. On one hand, you have the life of the Trinity in you. The triune God's life is in you. On the other hand, you're still like immature children what is Paul trying to get at here 
Well, when the life of the... This is why we, we just spent the whole time last week on verse 1. When the life of the Trinity comes into you... Remember, we went to John chapter 3 and we looked at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. When the life of the triune God comes into you, what happens? According to Jesus, what does the Bible teach? We're born again. But like Jesus, we're... So whatever age you were when you were born again, you don't start at that age. We're all born again how? Just like Jesus, as a baby. Everyone starts spiritually as an infant and grows from there just like when you were born physically. Hang with me. So we were dead, but now we're alive, but as a spiritual baby. And then from that point, we began to grow. And in the context of that, we all received the same triune God. We've all been made for the same purpose, but we've been gifted in unique and different ways. So therefore, we're going to grow. We're all to grow, but we're going to grow in different ways. We're going to grow in unique and different ways because we're going to grow in this giftedness somehow, which he's going to explain in a minute. But if it's different giftedness, it's just going to look a little bit different, isn't it? Well, sure. So let's just pause right there. If that's the case, which it is, then let's just understand a little bit before we move any deeper. The first implication of that is, is that we should never be surprised by immaturity in the church. Because if there's not immaturity in the church, it's not a healthy church. Well, I mean, maybe that could be wrong. Because what if you have a church full of bozos who just never grew and they're all little babies? So if you got a church full of people who've all been saved for 10 plus years and everybody's wearing diapers, I don't even know what to say about that. But a healthy church is going to have people at all different stages of development, right? And so therefore... If you have a church and you have people, you have people who are in various degrees of maturity, but you don't have any immature infants, it's not a healthy church. Because that means people aren't getting saved. That means there's not new believers, right? And so there should be people at all stages. Now I want you to think, those of you that have a, have a church history, you grew up in church. You got a lot of brokenness with regards to your past in church. And think about how oftentimes in so many churches, a new believer is wounded and devastated and sidetracked because the people in the church that are in some process of maturity get frustrated with newborn babes' immaturity. And so they just immediately start barking at them, wanting them to just change their behavior 
so that they act like that they're mature, but they're still babes. So what's happened right there? What's happened is they become a Christian and the people around them are leading them astray. That's what's happened. In ignorance. You see, before you... you how, how many zillions of ways could I illustrate this? You wouldn't walk into the preschool department, go into the baby room, and go around the room and ask each one of the babies, now, are you the one that made the coffee this morning? Because it wasn't very strong. You wouldn't do that. Well, before you come to some conclusion about somebody in church, you better have some understanding of spiritually where are they. Now, there certainly are moments where you may be sitting in community group or you may be having a conversation with somebody or you might be in D group and you realize, wow, this person is really immature. And they've been going to church a long time. And they're really immature. And that's a problem. But still the point is, if you identify them as immature, then you need to speak to them and encourage them and counsel them and walk with them according to the age that they are. You see, it needs to be age-appropriate, spiritual age-appropriate discipleship because what you don't want is you listen think about what happens when you take a when a when a a child tries to act or behave way older than they are it's unhealthy it's unhealthy you want a child to be, to be appropriately where they should be. Well, it's the same way spiritually. So we shouldn't be surprised by immaturity in the church, but at the same time, we should never be satisfied with immaturity in ourselves. Never. What we should do is take inventory of ourselves And any time we're exposed to immaturity in ourselves, we should not be satisfied with that. We should address that. You see, the the news flash for the modern American evangelical is that being a Christian is, in a lot of ways, like riding a bike. And if you stop moving forward, you fall down. And just like a healthy child is always growing. A healthy Christian is always growing. So much so that the Apostle Paul puts himself 
in the same category as us. He's still growing. Now, he might be beyond us, but he hasn't reached full maturity yet. We're always growing. We're all in this together. We're all at various places. All bound by this oneness, but all gifted uniquely, right? So we can never be satisfied with being an infant. We want to grow. Now, when Paul says, look at what Paul says in verse 14, that you no longer be children. Now look at his, look at how the Bible defines immaturity. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So that illustrates to us the examples of immaturity. I think three of them are in that verse. The first one is, the first mark of immaturity is that like babies, you lack discernment. See, babies, I'm getting reacquainted with babies these days. So I have a lot of time to, this was very easy for me to illustrate. Babies lack discernment. They don't, they will put whatever they have around them in their mouth. They can't discern between this is good and this is bad, or this is food, or this is poison, or this is something to eat, or this is something that you shouldn't put in your mouth. They just put it in their mouth because they're babies and they lack discernment. So they need people around them to show them. You don't want to be a spiritual infant just bouncing around from every wave that pushes you. The second thing is, like babies, immature people are self-centered. See, babies want what they want, and they want it now. And they have no comprehension of patience or anything else that's going on. You know, I watch... I watched this just multiple times the past week where Hank wants something to eat and Lisa would get the bottle out and start doing all the things that has to happen to, you know, get the milk ready or make sure it's not too cold or too. Now, do you think Hank is going, I see you over there getting it ready for me. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. I know that, you know, that all those things, you're running it underwater and all the stuff you're trying to do is for me. Thank you. Hank's acting like we all left the house and he's the only one there in the house. Because all Hank can think about is Hank. But as they get older, see, now Tatum's learning how to share. She's learning how to be patient. She, she, wants to, she wants to paint. And then we get the paint out and the paper out and the stuff. And she's realizing that the things that we're doing are, are getting ready for her to be able to do that. So she stops saying, I want to paint, because she understands clearly that we now hear her and she's about to do that. See, that's growth. 
But you have to be trained to understand that. But spiritual babies only think about themselves. This is why some of you always have your feelings hurt. You always have your feelings hurt. There are some of you in this church that I've known for years. You haven't grown an inch. You are always, always, always either bent out of shape about something or worried about what other, how other people treat you or, God forbid, saying, it's not fair, which is always the telltale sign of spiritual immaturity. The third sign of immaturity is you're ruled by emotion. Your lives, when you're a baby, your whole world is ruled by the right now. Right? Well, sure. Babies have a super short attention span. You want to get a baby's attention? You got to have something that makes noise and it lights up and it jiggles around. And and even then they're like, ooh, look at that. And then that lasts for about five minutes and they're like, forget that. What else you got? So you're just going through. This one makes this sound. This one lights up in this way. You know, you need 14 things to keep them occupied for 14 minutes. Well, spiritually, what does that look like? That looks like people who, they're all jazzed up about serving God when things are going well. But as soon as their life gets hard or there's difficulty or frustration, they retreat. They don't understand long obedience in the same direction. They're hot and cold, hot and cold. But what determines the hot and the cold? Whatever the immediate circumstances in their life are. That's immaturity. Let me explain it to you. Let me let Jesus explain it to you. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples out and he gave them power and authority to heal and to cast out demons. And so in uh, Luke chapter 10, they come back and they are pumped. And they're like, Lord... Even the demons are subject to us in your name. They are fired up, boy. They are on cloud nine. It is a high point experience. And Jesus pops the bubble. They're all fired up. And Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus saying? Grow up. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you can't find your joy in whatever thing God's doing today. That can't, your, your emotions can't be up and down and up and down depending on what you're experiencing. Your joy should be every single day secure in what God has already done if he never does another thing. 
So in your worst, lowest moment, when your world is falling apart, praise God, your name is written in heaven. See, mature people, or at least people that aren't spiritual infants, have long obedience in the same direction. You know why? Because their joy is not based on their momentary circumstances. But it's based on their eternal position in God. I mean, think about it. All the disciples were pumped about is that they were actually able to do what Jesus commanded them to do. And he still corrected them and said, don't find your joy in that. Why? Because he knew that there were hard days ahead. And so if you got your joy wrapped up in today, what's going to happen? We want to be mature. We want to know what that looks like. We want to have a practical understanding of what is it that God wants for me and you. Verse 15. So instead of being immature, rather, here's the picture. Here's the answer to all your questions. And it's not what you think. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There it is. So the whole point, according to this text, the whole point of everything that happens in church is for the building up of the body. Everything is for the building up of the body. And this is the picture of how we know when the body's been built up. So do you know what verses 15 and 16, for, let's start with all the things or the main thing that most people think growing in Christ is that is clearly scratched off the list and rejected by what the Bible says right here. There is no growing in spiritual maturity. None. Zero zilch in you working on you. Read it. Think of all the time you've wasted working on you. And the reason you're immature is because that won't work. It's right here. Speaking the truth in love. Who are you speaking to? You got to be around other people. You can't hear it and you can't speak it unless you're with other people. The whole body joined and held together with every joint. That's not talking about your body. That's talking about Christ's body. We're being formed into what? It says it right there, into him. Into him. 
So we grow in maturity when we grow together amidst all of our diversity in unity. That's what the Bible says. Which I know a lot of you hate, unfortunately. You've been taught, and some of you will leave today just as ignorant as you came in. That's the truth. You will not listen to what God says to you today because you are determined to do it your way. Spiritual maturity happens in spiritual community. It's the only way. And in a world where we only build houses with back porches and not front porches, and all our garages face forward with the doors shut, and everybody's locked in behind, and then there's a big privacy fence around the back, and that's where all the magic happens. Yeah. And what you do is your business, and what you, because you don't understand freedom. And so you by yourself, you're going to grow in maturity. I just want to remind you of something. What life has been put inside of you? The life of God. In specific, how? The life of God. What did Paul go to great lengths to make you see first thing this morning? Was it's the life of the triune God, isn't it? It is. It's undeniably right there in the Scripture. So within the Trinity, what do we have? We have perfect love, perfect oneness, perfect unity. But we also have diversity. See, the Father's different from the Son, who's different from the Son, but there's perfect love and perfect unity, right? So the picture of what we're to grow into is what's within us. Uh huh. And so we function in our diversity in order to grow together in unity. That's what we do. So the life of the Trinity is to be reflected in the life of our community. That's the goal. And in order for that to happen, you have to let people in. You have to invite people into your life. And you have to be willing to be invited and listen, if, if the first thought that came to your mind when I said that, because I know you're in here, the, when I said that, the first thought that came to your mind is, well, no one ever invites me. You are a baby. You're a baby. I'm telling you to take responsibility for what the Bible says. The life of the Trinity is to be reflected in our community. That's, what's, that's what we're working towards. That means that. Here's what that means. Again, all of these things should be like boom, boom, light bulbs. Bing, this explains things. You cannot grow in maturity by dropping into church. 
can't do it. You can't do it. Some of you in this room, this hour, hour and a half is all you get every week. That's all you get. And that's why you're still in diapers. And here's what you've done. You've deceived yourself and, and by you probably have some spiritual practices that you do on your own that you believe are growing you into maturity. But yet, here's the truth of the matter. You, got, you've, you might have gained more head knowledge, but your life still looks the same as it always has. Because you're fighting against the gospel. That's not what you were made for. You're trying to live as a fish out of water. It won't work. 25 years, I've watched a lot of people try to make it work. And I've watched it fail 100% of the time. But praise God, I've seen a lot of people flourish by embracing it. And realizing the beauty of it. See, he says, rather than be immature, speak the truth in love. Just think about that one thing. Speak the truth in love as we kind of pull all these pieces together. See, some of us are wired such that our natural tendency is to be truthful people. We're very direct people or bold people or maybe you'll use the term blunt or whatever the case may be. Then there's other people in the room and your natural tendency is to be loving in the sense that you would rather just tell people what they want to hear because you don't want to offend them or you don't want them to be upset with you or whatever the case may be. But both are motivated by selfishness. They're both signs of immaturity. Truth without love is not truth and love without truth is not love. Because see, your motivation for being truthful if you're not loving and you're just, you just say, well, I'm just a blunt person, you're just motivated by selfish pride. You just want to look smart or put other people down so that you look, make yourself look better. And if you just want to be loving to people without telling them the truth, it's still selfishness because you're just worried about what they think about you. You're more concerned about you than you are them. See, both, it's both immaturity it's both selfishness it just looks two different ways but it's the same motivation but when we speak truth and love the bible says we grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ see how did how did christ speak truth and love see he brought the truth The truth is, is that our sin was so heinous and so bad that the only solution for it would be the death of God. That's hard to hear. That's true. But he also died on the cross willingly because he loved us. And so on the cross, we see a picture of both this horrific truth that we are that doomed and that far from God. And the unbelievable love that God would do that for us.
And so we want to interact in a community of people. We want to grow up in maturity. That's why it's so important that when I end this service that you go and plug into community. And by the way, if you don't plug into community, there'll be a lot of you that won't because you'll go and plug into serving. And there's a lot of people who aren't in here right now because they're serving. And how, by the way, do you discover your spiritual gifts? See, spiritual gifts aren't talents or abilities or things that you already know you have. No, when you're saved, you're given spiritual gifts. And there's only one way to discover them. You can take a test, and it might help point you in the right direction, but you won't be able to discover them and, and utilize them except for by serving. It's the only way. So apart from serving, you'll never know your giftedness. You'll never experience it. And apart from abiding community, there won't be any speaking truth and love. That's how we grow. That's what you were made for. Jesus went to the cross for truth in love. And because of what he did, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is in us. So listen, before you let the voice in your head condemn you, whatever struggle or challenge you may be facing today, whatever it may be, Some, no doubt, are are very, very severe and great and troubling. But if you have a desire in your heart to grow in maturity, to grow in the way, into what you were made to be, then, then listen, whatever challenge or struggle you're facing, can the triune God overwhelm that is there any struggle or any challenge that's too much for the father and the son and the holy spirit no he didn't die on the cross to fail You won't fail if you belong to him. You seek after him. He always wins. You're precious in his sight. You're uniquely gifted. And here's the truth. The truth is is that me and everybody else in this room, we can't be as mature without you as we could be with you. So don't let anything 
hold you back? What could be better than living for what you were made for? Let's stand and bow our heads. Lord, we thank you this morning.